Just to recap the, the purpose of this study and where we've, where we've been so far, um, the author of Hebrews is writing a letter uh, to a church. We, we don't know where it is. It's not, it's not in Italy because later on he says, people in Italy are greeting you. Um, but this church consists of uh, Jewish Christians, um, right? It's a, a, a synagogue or a group of Jewish, uh, of Jewish people who have converted to Christianity. And uh, some of them, at least we can tell from the context of the letter, are um, they're looking at what they used to have, right? They're, they're looking at, at a situation where they existed under Roman rule and they had this uneasy compromise uh, with the Roman Empire where they, they weren't being actively persecuted. Um, and now that they're Christians, they are being actively persecuted and they're saying, gosh, we, we should go back. We should, we should go back to just being Jews and, and not believe in Jesus anymore. Um, and the, um, the author of Hebrews has a very simple message for, for them. He says, Jesus is better, right? In the past, and this is the, in the first verse, in the past, God spoke to us through a bunch of different ways, through, through his prophets, through signs, through symbols, through uh, his, the, 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 working, the outworking of history, he spoke to us in all kinds of ways, but now he's speaking to us through his son. Um, and then he, he goes through and he takes each part of the Old Testament, uh, each institution uh, that is established by the Old Testament, and he says, no, no Jesus is better. Um, and the message is always, Jesus is better, don't turn back. Don't look back at what you had, because Jesus is the culmination of everything that you experienced or, or were taught through the Old Testament. Uh, and his hope and desire is to encourage them not to retreat from Christianity, not to retreat from Christ uh, in light of once, what they once had. Last week, uh, we uh, set the stage a little bit, and then we got into his first argument, which is Jesus is better than the angels. Uh, and we talked a lot about um, kind of what that meant to that, that group of people at that time. Uh, we explored a little bit of, of um, what scholars would call angelology and talked about kind of the, the way that the argument is structured here. Um, but the, the basic argument was, look, uh, the angels are, are ministers and uh, they, are, they, have, they do good work uh, according to the Old Testament. They delivered the law to Moses, but God pointed at Christ and said, you are my son, today I have begotten thee. Um, and at the beginning of time, God, uh, Jesus was there with him uh, uh, and was the instrument through which he created the universe, right? If we turn to John chapter 1, uh, we would see that, right, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, and then it goes on to explain that Jesus was the Word. So it's, it's kind of harking back to that and saying Jesus was there with him at the moment of creation, um, and he, he instructed the angels to worship Christ. So Christ is better. And then the conclusion is, don't turn back, right? Don't look back at what you had. So tonight we're going to get into two, two more uh, panels or two more arguments about, um, that, the, uh, that the author of Hebrews is making about why Jesus is better than what the Jews had before. Um, and there, there are going to be two of them. We're going to skip around a bit because there's a complicated passage in the middle uh, that I will get to later. Um, somewhere in a couple weeks. Uh, but in these two uh, little panels, what we're going to see is, one, Jesus is better than Moses. Right? That's, that's an argument that he's going to make. And second, Jesus is better than the priesthood. 
and the, um, the argument that Jesus is better than the priesthood is incredibly complex, um, but really rewarding if you understand it. So we're going to dwell on that one quite a bit. So with that, let's turn to chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Oh, actually, Richard, can we go to, to chapter 2, verse 17 or 16? Thank you. Maybe we can. I don't know. Up oh, for verily. He took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, right? Christ was, was not, he didn't take the form of an angel, he took the form of, uh, of a man, of a person. Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them or, or relieve those that are tempted. So this is the first time the high priest concept gets mentioned in this uh, this book, this letter, which is why I wanted to to, heart, to look at it very briefly. Um, right? He he transitions and says, uh, "Christ was not an angel; he was a person." And the reason he was a person was so that he could be a high priest for us. Um, and did you you catch the the argument there? He says it's so that he could experience everything that we experienced and be afflicted like we are afflicted. Um, if you have an advocate, somebody who's arguing on your behalf, I would say that usually you want an advocate who can sympathize with you, right? Somebody who's experienced what you're experienced or know, experiencing or knows what you experienced so that they can explain it uh, correctly. Um, when I, I look at this passage, um, well, I'll get to that in a moment. So let's go to chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. So when you invoke the name of Moses to a Jewish person from this period, um, understand that basically everything about their, uh, their religion uh, had kind of fallen apart, right? That, yeah, they love David. They, they look back at, on David with fondness. God made a covenant with David, but it seemed to have failed, right? The, the Romans owned Jerusalem, not the Jews. Um, the, the line of David is no longer kings in Jerusalem. Uh, and so they're like, what, what covenant can we look back on? And the covenant that, that they can look back on that came before David uh, and seems to still be in effect is the covenant that Moses made with God. So to, to a Jew of this time... Looking back on Moses was kind of a super Jew, almost. Like, he, he was the person that you would look at and say, that's who I want to be like. Moses typified every virtue that you could think of as a Jewish person. So to invoke his name is to say, like, think of the best person you can be, and that's him. So he says, Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted, this man being Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, Inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. Um, and house here has two meanings, right? As it does in a lot of places, right? A house is, it's a building where you live, where people live, right? It's also a family, right? Your, your house, like that's the pun that, or the interconnection that he uses with David back in the Old Testament. He says, 
Uh, David says, I'm going to build you a tabernacle, or I'm going to build you a temple, right? Uh, David, the story is David woke up one night and looked out and thought of the tabernacle, and he said, it's not fit that I should live in a palace made of cedar and wood, and that you, God, should live in a tent in the rain. And God says, well, I don't really need a house, and I, but I appreciate the, uh, the gesture, and I'm going to make out of you a great house, right? I'll let you build it. A temple, or a temple for me as a house, but I'm going to make your family great. I'm going to establish a dynasty through you. So it has both meanings. Um, and it, right, it, so catch the argument here, right? He's saying Jesus is greater than Moses. One, because Jesus is the one who established, right, because he's God, he established Moses' house. Uh, he established Moses as, as a, a servant, Uh, And the person who built the house gets more honor than the house. Verse 5, And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. So get that too, right? He's saying, uh, yes, you can be a great servant, but a son is always greater than a servant, no matter what. Moses may be the greatest person who ever lived, and to a Jew he was. But Jesus is the son, not a servant. And there, there are frequent, I won't, we won't turn to them tonight, but there are frequent references to Moses, uh, Moses being a servant. Uh, when, uh, when God says to Joshua, um, go meet with Moses, he says, go meet with my, my servant Moses. So there's this idea, right? Jesus is better than Moses because a son is better than a servant. And the person who built the house is better than the house itself. This would have been incredibly impactful uh, for a, uh, an, uh, a New Testament era Jew. They, like, they would have understood uh, what was being said here, which is that Jesus has, has come to supplant Moses. Verse 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if he will hear his voice... Harden not your hearts. And this is a pattern we saw before, right, with the angels. Um, God, the, the, this is the don't turn back part, right? This is what you're to do in light of the fact that Moses uh, is, is lesser, than, uh, lesser than Jesus. Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. So th- this is the passage in the Old Testament where um, the, the Jews are into numbers. The Jews are about to enter into the promised land, right? The, the, they're not Jews then. They're, they're the children of Israel, but they're about to enter into the, the, the promised land. And they send scouts right? Uh, they send Caleb and, and Joshua, and Caleb and Joshua are very excited. They're like, it's awesome. The grapes are so big, you have to carry them on sledges, and it, it's flowing with milk and honey. But the other 10 scouts say, the people are like giants, that we're going we're gonna to get creamed if we go in there. We'll just get destroyed. Um, and the people begin to doubt, right? And, and God says, you know what? Everybody out of the pool, I was going to take you to the promised land. You guys are going to have to hang out in the desert for 40 years. And of all the people who, who still lit, are, are here, only Caleb and Joshua are going to enter the promised land. Right? So a whole generation lived and died out in the wilderness at Kadesh Barnea while, while they waited 
right, to, to, for God to prove his, uh, in, in 40 years, he would prove that he was able to, to bring them into the promised land. So that's what's being referred to here. It's like, don't be like those guys who doubted, believe. Wherefore I was, oh, sorry, uh, verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. The provocation is apparently what they called that event out in the wilderness. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that, that, that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So, right, he's again saying, look, Moses, or Jesus is greater than Moses. Don't look back. Don't be like the children of Israel in the wilderness who, right at the cusp of entering the promised land, said, I don't know if we believe you, God. And God said, well, that's fine. You don't have to. You can hang out here. Um, and the people who did believe me will enter in. All right, so that's, that's the, the part with Moses. Anybody have any questions or thoughts about that? It's not very complicated, or at least it's not as complicated as what we're about to dive into, but this is a natural break point. Any thoughts or questions? Okay, so let's go to verse 414, which says, uh, and again, this is just a reference to the, the high priesthood of Christ. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched uh, with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Right? That's the purpose of the priesthood in ancient Israel. Was to, uh, the, it's the job of the priest to stand between the people and God and speak on behalf of the people by offering sacrifices, by offering prayers. But he, he's the one who initiates the sacrifices that result, the sin offerings, the thank offerings, the, you know, the, all the various offerings that are spelled out in the book of Leviticus, he's the one who can offer them. The, 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 you go to the priest with your animal, he butchers it, they, they follow the ritual, uh, and, and that results in your sins being forgiven. That's the way the Old Testament system worked. Um, it, and... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Let's go to verse 3. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer sin, or to offer for sins. So what, this is complicated, but basically the priest, when he goes into the, the temple on the day that he's on duty, he has to offer a sacrifice to absolve himself of his own sins, right? He, 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 can't, he can't very well offer a sacrifice on, on your behalf if he hasn't cleansed himself under the Old Testament system. He has to go in and make his own sacrifice and say, God, forgive me of my sins. 
Verse 4, and no man taketh this honor unto himself, but, that he, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So n- nobody is a, nobody's a priest. It, in Israel, you can't become a priest by going to school, right? There's no night course or, you know, a mail order course, or you can't go to the community college and become a priest. No amount of, if you are not born into the tribe of Levi, you're not a priest, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter how much you learn. It doesn't matter how much you know about the Torah. It doesn't matter if you've, doesn't matter if you memorize the Torah and you know how to do everything that a priest does. You are not a priest unless you were born into the tribe of Levi. Uh, that's what he means here. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that, he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Remember Psalm 2. We read it last week. It's God speaking to the king of Israel, but also at the same time to Christ and saying, You are my son, I have begotten you. And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he offer up, and the who in this sentence, verse 7, is Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, this, if you're a, a, a casual reader or a, somebody who's just looking at this text, you might be like, what, what in the world is, who in the world's Melchizedek? And what is it, what's it mean to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek? Well, we're, we're going to find out in a minute. He's a character in, in the, kind of mysterious character in the, in the Old Testament in Genesis. Uh, and then the, the, um, <laughs> then the author of Hebrews stops for a minute and just uh, takes to task his audience. And he says, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you're dull of hearing. So he says, buckle up. This is going to get complicated because you guys are dumb. Right? That's, that's literally what he's saying. He says, for, for, when for, the, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Right? You guys are big babies. You don't know anything. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, right, he's saying, you're probably not ready for this. You guys are dumb, but here we go. Like that, he actually pauses to do that. So let's, uh, I'm, I'm not going to read chapter 6 yet. Let's skip to chapter 7, 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. We're going to stop right here, and we're going to turn back to Genesis 14, which is where the story of Melchizedek is. And actually, Richard, I might want to go a few verses before that, but give me a moment. Uh, 
So we go all the way back to Genesis 14. And let, uh, let's go to verse 12 if we can, Richard. Thank you. And they took Lot, Abraham's brother, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the... So Abram is Abraham. For he dwelt in the plains of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of, uh, of Eschol and brother of Aner. And these were confederate with Abram, so they were in league with him or they were his allies. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. Dan's both a geographic area and a, a tribe of Israel later. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all his goods and also brought again his uh, brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. So understand what's happening here. Lot, Abraham's uh, nephew, has been abducted. Uh, and uh, Abraham, being a good kinsman, he's like, okay, let's saddle up. And he gets together a, a posse of 318 individuals, arms them, and they go and they take them back. Um, Verse 17, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Ketoleomer, who's a, like a king who abducted Lot, and of the kings were, that were with him at the valley of Shava, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. So immediately, this is super mysterious, right? There, no priesthood has been established yet, right? That's... It's not until after Abraham, like not until Moses is a priesthood established. But we have this guy, he's the king of Salem, which would later become Jerusalem. Um, and his name means king of peace. And he shows up and he is supposed to be this, this priest king of the Most High, El Elyon, which is a name for God, uh, for Yahweh, that is given uh, occasionally in the Old Testament. Uh, and, and so he meets, he meets Abraham with, with bread and water, and, he says, and, it, and it says, And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth that I will not take from a thread, even to a shoe latchet, uh, and that I will not take anything that is mine, lest thou should say, I have made Abram rich, save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre, let them take their portion. So uh, he, Abraham, Abraham says, I, I don't want to take your food, because uh, I don't want anybody to say that I, um, that I, I profited from what I did, or profited from my affiliation with you. And Abraham gives him a tithe. That's important to remember, because that's going to be a core part of what the author of Hebrews is talking about here. So, very simple story, very mysterious character, right? Because Melchizedek's mentioned nowhere else in the Bible except for Hebrews and in Psalm 10, uh, Psalm 10.4, where um, God says to David, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. So he's speaking both to David and through David to the Messiah in the future. At least that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. 
So let's go back to chapter 7 of, of Hebrews, and I'll start from verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and, that, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. So uh, Melchizedek means king of righteousness, uh, and, uh, and he was the king of Salem. Uh, Salem means peace. So he was the king of peace and the king of righteousness. Uh, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. For he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promise. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. Right? So you... you I'm sorry. So the, the, it's, you would expect the person who is lesser right, to give the tithe and the greater to receive it. You see what I'm saying? Or do you see what he's saying here? He's saying, so Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. The Levitical line of priests comes from Abraham. So the order of Melchizedek is better than, it's better than the one that was established through Aaron and, and Levi. So that, that's important. And, without, and here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And as I may say so, as I may so say, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So let's go back. That's all complicated. This is one of my favorite passages in the in the, the New Testament because the, the of the way the author is using the Old Testament account. It's it's super compelling, right? Catch what he says here. He says, uh, of, uh, Melchiz- first of all, he gives Melchizedek's bona fides, right? He says he was the king of, of righteousness. He's the king of Salem. He's the priest of the most high God. Uh, and then he says in verse 3, Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now, is he saying here that Melchizedek didn't have a father or mother, um, didn't have any issue, didn't have any descent, uh, and that he's, he's alive forever? No, that is not what he's saying. Um, and th- this passage has caused no end of confusion and problems and people saying, well, Melchizedek must have been Jesus in like a some weird pre-incarnate form or He's, you know, they have all kinds of arguments about who he is. What, what the author is saying is, in the story, go back and read Genesis. In the story, Melchizedek appears out of nowhere. As far as we know, we, he didn't have a father or mother because it's not explained whether he did or not. Right? We, we don't know. It just, it's just, he's there in the story all of a sudden, meeting with, with Abraham. As far as we know, right, it, just from the account in Genesis, he never died. Why? Because the author of Genesis never said, and then Melchizedek lived to be 
80 and died. Right? It's just never explained. Right? And that's, that's similar to other... I mean, it doesn't say in the Bible when every character in the Bible died. But, right, so we have this character who appears on the scene. We, we don't know who he is. We don't know where he came from. We don't know if he had a mother or father. Uh, we don't... We're, it's never described that he died. So we don't know that he died. What Melchizedek is in the story is what Jesus is for real, <laughs> right? He existed from the beginning of time and he'll exist till the end of it. He's a priest forever, right? In the way that Melchizedek, if we read the story on its face, is a priest forever because we're, we're not told when he was born. We're not told when he died. When he, when he died we're told that he was a priest king in this, in this city and that he served the Most High. Now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham, this is verse 4, I'm sorry, uh, gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are the sons of Levi, who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes. So the, the current priests received tithes from the people, uh, according to the law. Um, that is, of their brethren. So they receive, uh, they receive tithes from all the other children of Israel um, who, who came from Abraham. Uh, at, at some point, right? All Jews were descended from Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them, so Melchizedek, he received tithes from Abraham and blessed him that had the promises, right? So uh, the argument here is, so, right, the Levites received tithes and they're, they're priests, right? But Melchizedek received tithes from the person that all the priests are descended from, so he, he must be greater. Verse 8, And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also, who receiveth tithes. So Le- Levi is the descendant of Abraham who would become like the founder of, of the priestly line. Uh, he paid tithes uh, to Melchizedek. How did he pay tithes to him? Well, he... Uh, metaphorically, he existed in Abraham's body, right? Because Abraham would eventually have a kid, Isaac, who would have a kid, Jacob, who would have a kid, Levi. So the the argument is Abraham was carrying Levi in his body in like a metaphorical and I guess physical sense at that time. So Levi tied to Melchizedek. Um, The idea then is this character... Uh, in, because Christ is in his line, is, is that kind of priest, he is superior in every way to the, the Aaronic, the Levitical priesthood that the Jews are familiar with and are looking to uh, for the, the kind of propitiation of their sins when they go to the temple to offer sacrifices. Let's go to verse 11. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? In other words, why, why, why wasn't Jesus a Levite? Why wasn't he born into the tribe of Levi? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken uh, pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. 
And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, uh, and again this is in Psalms, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. The, the law that required you to sacrifice at the temple is gone. Right? You have a high priest now who doesn't need to sacrifice for himself, who understands everything that you were afflicted with, but is nonetheless sinless. Uh, and he stands in the heavenlies. He has access directly to God, ready to offer sacrifice on your behalf in his own body. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath. But this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. Right? The, the priests all died. Uh, eventually, right? No matter how good a priest he was, he would pass away. But this man, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is all able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for him. So you can go to a priest, he's saying. Uh, hey, Jewish believers, you can go to a priest if you like. You know what? That priest will eventually die and you'll have to find another one and then another one and then another one. This priest lives forever in the presence of God. He hears you and he intervenes for you on your behalf forever. For such an high priest uh, became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, uh, but the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son, who is consecrated forevermore. So I think that's incredibly powerful. Um, let me, um, I think uh, this is really the core of, of Hebrews in many ways, right? It's, it's the author of Hebrews looking back at the Old Testament and saying, how can I convince you, Jewish believers, that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and better, 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 better than what you had before. Uh, and he reaches back to Moses and makes this cursory argument. And then he reaches back to the priests and he says, your whole system is based on these sacrifices that get made at the temple. Um, and yes, they're, they're prescribed in the Old Testament, in the Levitical laws and Deuteronomy. But Jesus is better. Right? Jesus is a high priest who will never fail you. He will never die. He doesn't have to offer sacrifices on his own behalf. He offered himself once for all. And that paid the bill. Don't look back.